Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans. Welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we'll be talking about two things we all love, cheese and Whataburger. We'll be talking to Paula Lambert, the legendary Dallas chef and pioneering artisan cheesemaker who founded Mozzarella Company 40 years ago. And then we'll hear from actor B.J. Novak. Yes, that's right. The guy from The Office. He has a new movie out about Texas, and he tells us about his favorite order from Whataburger. It's going to be really fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. This is going to be a good one, and we're going to cover a lot. So be sure to visit dallasnews.com food after this for detailed show notes of everything we talk about. And if you want us to answer your questions or talk about something specific, send us a voice memo via our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, I'll be talking with Paula Lambert about all things cheese on the Dallas food scene. But right now I'm joined by food reporter Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about what's in the news. And so first off, Sarah, you've covered a lot in the last week. You've covered a lot about sushi, sandwiches, bagels. Tell us a little bit about the big sushi news. Sure. Uh, Chef Jimmy Park, who owns Shoyo on Greenville Avenue, is opening another Japanese restaurant. This is very cool. Not something I think he expected to do. And I don't think those of us who love his food expected him to do it either because Shoyo has only been open a year. But he will take over the former Teppo space on Lower Greenville, and he expects to open a more casual sushi spot. One of the reasons for this is that it is very hard to get into Shoyo. This is a restaurant that has 16 courses. There's only room for, I think it's 12 people per seating. And of course, they're not open seven days a week. So the wait list is hundreds of people long. And it's worth that wait. But Chef Jimmy Park wants to offer his great food somewhere else in uh, a less serious setting. So we expect the sushi restaurant to open in 2023. It is a quick walk from Shoyo. So anybody who either can't get in or who goes to Shoyo and is just not done with the party can head (laughs) on down the street and eat some more food and drink some more drinks once Jimmy Park's new restaurant opens. It does not have a name yet. So I'm excited to see what that will mean. He wants a name that has something to do with Shoyo. Okay. Uh, Maybe a play on words, something to show that the two are related. So can't wait on that. So did they tell you if it's going to be reservation-based or a walk-in type of place? Yeah, great question, Claire. Um, I don't know that he's firmed up all the details, but the idea is that you can walk in. I'm sure he will take reservations too because this is Dallas and a lot of folks like to make reservations. But the whole point, so he says, is that it's, it's a lot more accessible. 
So I, I do think that those of us who live in East Dallas, I'm one of them, could walk up and find a seat or wait a short amount of time where you juxtapose that against Shoyo and, you know, you need to plan way in advance mm-hmm. for that thing. So these will be in, in stark contrast to one another on purpose. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I love this concept. It's almost sort of like the bar area, but a different yes. space, completely different space. It's wonderful for demand, too. Right. Uh, we have seen other businesses do similar things. Aaron, you and I were side chatting about Beverly's, which is right. a great bistro on Fitzhugh in Dallas. Well, the owner, Greg Katz, opened Clifton Club, which is a bar with really, really good dinner snacks, bar snacks. Mm-hmm. And so can't get into Beverly's. Maybe you can walk down the street and get into Clifton Club. I think that same idea is happening here with Shoyo and his upcoming sushi restaurant. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait to hear what what name he comes up with. Me too. And it's in a popular, um, people were bummed about the place that's closing in that spot too, though, right? Yeah, Erin, I'm glad you mentioned that. Teppo had been (laughs) around since 1995. We said in a late 90s Dallas Morning News story that Teppo helped make sushi cool, quote unquote, in Dallas. And uh, I've lived here for a long time. I think a lot of us remember when sushi was not something that you would eat a couple times a week. Um, It's now my six-year-old's favorite food. (laughs) She's <laughs> just so bougie and silly. Um, perfect for a food writer's daughter, I guess. But uh, but yeah, Teppo is important. It will certainly be missed. And it will interestingly be replaced with a newer age sushi spot from mm-hmm. a younger, very creative chef. Well, that's great. Um, I'm glad that they're keeping with the sushi heritage of the place. Okay, great. And what about sandwiches? There's some big sandwich news this week also. Y'all, Great American Hero is closing (laughs) finally. And I don't want it to close. Nobody does. But the former owner threatened to close for the last year or so. And he sold it to somebody new. Somebody's new. There's two new guys who own it as of January 1st of this year. And the writing was kind of on the wall that they probably were not going to stay in the original location on Lemon Avenue. That building is old and needs a lot of work. Interestingly, these new owners have a whole new plan. They want to franchise Great American Hero, and they want it to compete with Jimmy John's and Jersey Mike's. Are they keeping the name the same? Yes. Great question, Claire. They are keeping the name the same. They are closing in mid-August on Lebanon Avenue. They are moving to Northwest Highway and Skillman in Northeast Dallas. And then after that one location opens, they want to have massive growth, and then they want to franchise Great American Hero. And sell alcohol, yeah? Yeah, and coffee. I mean, name all the things, and they might be (laughs) doing it in one building. Um, But yes, they they already own a coffee shop in Fairview, so they thought, well, we might as well add a breakfast and an espresso component. And then, of course, the thing at Great American Hero for lunch and dinner is sandwiches. They make really great sandwiches. And then eventually they said they want to add beer and wine. So that is a lot of change for a restaurant that over 47 years changed very little. That's interesting. Beer and wine at the grab and go sandwich shop. (laughs) I wouldn't have thought. You know, I will drink beer and wine just about any time, you guys. But I don't know if I need it with my sandwich. Right. I will happily grab a sub and a glass of wine. That sounds great. (laughs) I'm all for it. (laughs) What do people love about Great American Hero? Because this story did really well. Like there was a lot of interest from our readers. Yeah. This place is just a Dallas staple. So a lot of folks who live anywhere near Oaklawn, Uh, And Lemon, which is where that has been for 47 years. Anybody who lives 
near Oaklawn and Lemon in, gosh, 50 years, has possibly stopped in. I have heard from people who say they kind of grew up going there. And because it's not expensive, it is such a family-friendly place. It is there for people of all income levels. And most of the folks I've talked to, of course, they have a favorite. You know, they always go for the Italian or they always go for the Cuban or their kids, you know, always get a certain sandwich. And sandwich shops do tend to pull on that, you know, nostalgia factor. And Great American mm-hmm. Hero is Dallas's best example, I think, of a longtime sandwich shop that is just so beloved. Right. And hopefully they can keep the vibe of the the building and the colors and kind of that retro vibe. Yeah. And I don't know if they can, Erin. It's it's something to think about and it's something to watch as its new owners expand it. Um, Going from one to, they're looking at 500 to 1,000 great American heroes, right? This is not a dozen. This is major. (laughs) So if we can all remember the great American hero as it was, you know, in three years, we need to think back to that memory and see where we've, we've come. Yeah, that's a good point. And so um, another part of this story, uh, where one exits, another enters, tell us about Shugs and how they're taking over the original Great American Hero spot. Certainly. And I'll do this quickly because I also am really excited about what Claire's just about to talk about. Uh, (laughs) Replacing Great American Hero on Lemon Avenue will be Shug's Bagels. I do think this is easily the best bagel shop in Dallas-Fort Worth. It's run by a very smart SMU grad who saw the need to grow. And he loves that old building. He's going to do a very expensive facelift, so he says, and open Shug's sometime in 2023. So we will have to wait for bagel shop number two. Uh, in my opinion, it will be worth the wait. And it will be exciting to see what he does to that old building to make it look new, but to keep some of its charm. Right. Well, that's nice. It'll be another Dallas staple taking over that spot. That's right. Okay, awesome. I also recently sat down with Claire to talk about her big story last week on the restaurant Carte Blanche. So Claire, tell us a little bit about what this story is about. So I spent months looking into Chef Casey LaRue at Carte Blanche. Uh, Over the past few years since he started um, working in the Dallas restaurant scene here, he had talked about this resume that he had of working mm-hmm. at several very big restaurants in the restaurant industry, including Per Se, which is Thomas Keller's restaurant in New York, Danielle, which is Danielle Baloud's uh, restaurant also in New York, and Joelle Robuchon in Las Vegas. And that's a very, very impressive resume to have. Right. And as I looked into it and talked with these restaurant groups and and chefs and um, former employees who had worked at these places, uh, resoundingly heard from these places that they had no record of LaRue ever working there and no recollection of who this guy was and did not recognize him from photos. So it became clear that we had um, a story on our hands here of who actually is this guy and, and what restaurant experience does he have? So for people who are not familiar with Michelin-starred restaurants and sort of these big names across the country, what is sort of the level that those restaurants operate at? These are restaurants that are very difficult to get into to to right. work at. They have very high standards, um, very sought after for people looking to gain love, uh, restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a big deal. It is a very big deal to work at any one of these places. And 
what's expected is that from those who do work in these kitchens, the standard and the level of operating is so very high um, that just about everyone who is in those kitchens is held to an incredible standard. And um, it's, it's an opportunity to learn an incredible amount about the restaurant industry and how to run a restaurant and cook at one of the most competitive levels that exists. Right. And these restaurants also are large enough restaurant groups that they keep meticulous records of their employees, correct? Yes. From what I understand, um, they really do keep track of who comes into these kitchens um, pretty much all the way down the line for the most part. And so one thing that unless you're familiar with the restaurant industry that a lot of people don't know is that there is a position in restaurants called a stage. It is it's a short for a stagiaire who is someone who it's basically like an unpaid intern. Mm-hmm. And this is very common in the industry that you can be a stage and go work places for free um, for any amount of time. And really it's an opportunity for you to just kind of be there and soak up what you can. You're not really holding a consequential role there. It's it's for like an educational benefit for you. And since this story has published, LaRue has said that, well, he did work at these restaurants. It's just that he was there as a stage, as an unpaid intern, just there to kind of learn and watch as as they ran their operations. Um, And these restaurants have said, though, that they don't have any record of him ever being there as a stage, nor did the chefs who were there at the time recognize him. So it's it really begs the question of what capacity was he actually there in? Mm -hmm. And um, when can you claim something like that on your resume? Can you claim it on your resume if you were just there for a day? Um, and, and, And the issue is, is that from what I heard from former employees, from people who have dined at his restaurant, is that there are a lot of people who were under the impression from media interviews he's given and things he said to people that he held much more significant roles um, in these restaurants. For example, I mean, we have documentation of his LinkedIn resume that was active and that he had for quite some time that right. said he worked as a chef de partie at uh, Joël Robuchon per se and Danielle. That's a very different thing than just being a stage who was there right. on a very, very short-term basis. And so, um, and so what is a chef de partie? And he also said he worked there for a significant period of time, like at least six months to a year, correct? Yes. So basically his resume indicated that he was there in a, in a more full-time capacity with a legitimate staff position mm-hmm. in the kitchen brigade and had worked there. I think the minimum amount that was on that LinkedIn resume was 11 months at one restaurant up to two years at another. And that obviously did not check out when I went to corroborate that with the restaurants. And in one instance, when I asked him for any proof that he had worked in these places, uh, he did give me a W-2 from the Dynex group, which is the restaurant group that is over the restaurant Danielle. And um, he redacted the name on this W-2 because Mm -hmm. he told me that he was going by a different name at this time um, when he was working at these restaurants because he had been involved in a 
bad domestic situation and had to change his name and move across the country. And that's why there was no record of him at these restaurants. And that's why he had to redact the name on this W-2 from Daniel. He would not give me that name for me to verify and corroborate with the restaurants if they had that name on record. Right. But the other thing that obviously stood out was that the date on that W-2 was from a date different than what his resume had said. Um, the, the years did not line up there. So right. just a lot of a lot of holes and a lot of questions in his in his background. Yeah. And so the the reaction to the story has been really interesting to me because, you know, I think you've heard from a lot of folks in the restaurant industry, I think mostly, you know, off the record, not publicly, but, you know, thanking you for writing this story because it's pretty offensive to people who work in the restaurant industry who are on the up and up and really, really trying and working hard and kind of knew about him. But then also, you know, there was a lot of reaction from readers and diners who are like, well, why should I care? Like, if the food's good, then why does it matter to me, you know, as a diner? And Mm -hmm. that's just been on my mind about why it matters. So, yeah. So, Claire, what do you say about that? It's it's interesting to see some of the reaction to this. Um, And I think there are a few things at play here. You know, the the answer that, that I would give to people of what does it matter if his food is good if if he maybe wasn't as honest about his resume. Well, it matters because when a chef has experience at very top level Michelin starred restaurants, that is a huge draw for employees to go work for someone and learn from someone like that. Mm-hmm. So it impacts who you're able to hire. And it also impacts um, people coming to dine uh, and and try your food. We are in a state that Michelin does not review. Michelin does not review any restaurants here in Texas. For people who are looking to dine out and have Michelin level um, dining experiences, they often are looking for chefs who have come from these very high profile restaurants in other parts of the country that have received Michelin's attention and looking to dine with them here in Dallas. And so it really impacts who is coming to work for these chefs and who is coming mm-hmm. to eat their food. And so if you have a situation where you have someone who is is not being forthcoming about their work experience and perhaps embellishing what they did, um, what I've heard across the board in the restaurant industry is that internally in the industry, that's a really big deal. And it's a really big no-no because it (laughs) discredits a lot of hard work that is done. And it's just a a pretty offensive thing to a lot of people. Right. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for talking about this today and for your hard work on this story. And we'd love to hear more from from our listeners about what they think about this topic, because we'll probably be talking about it in the future as well. Stay tuned as we talk to Paula Lambert and hear from BJ Novak. 
Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to have this very special guest on our show today. Paula Lambert is a Dallas food legend and also one of the nicest and most gracious people I've ever met. She's a pioneering chef and artisan cheesemaker, teacher, and cookbook author who founded Mozzarella Company in Deep Ellum in 1982. So that means it's marking 40 years this year. Hi, Paula. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Well, first of all, congratulations on all of your success over the years. 40 years is is awesome for Mozzarella Company. That's so exciting. Um, and thank you for making such an impact on Texas cuisine. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you started Mozzarella Company and how it's evolved over those years? Yes. Um, I started Mozzarella Company in 1982. Uh, mm -hmm. I had lived in Italy and I loved everything Italian. And one of my favorite things was mozzarella and tomato salad. And no oh, one right. had heard of it. No one had even knew about Insalata Caprese if they hadn't been to Italy. So wow. um, I got this great idea that I would make this cheese that I love so much. And so I would be able to have this salad, the mozzarella and tomato <laughs> salad. That's awesome. You just made it yourself so that you could have that salad. That's well, amazing. no, I mean, I <laughs> built a cheese factory and okay. I brought a cheese professor from Italy that <laughs> taught me on the spot. And then I went out and started selling it. And one of the interesting things is that my one of my very first customers was the mansion on Turtle Creek. Okay. And back in 1982, uh, it was serving mozzarella and tomato salad, but it was using craft block mozzarella and slicing it thinly and folding it artistically. And wow. uh, I went into the kitchen and I said, this is fresh mozzarella. This is what's supposed to be in this salad. And fortunately, the uh, general manager was Swiss and he knew about mozzarella and tomato salad. And he told the chefs who didn't even know what mozzarella was wow. that uh, it should be used in their salad. And so that was how I got my real credentials. Oh my goodness. That is an amazing story. <laughs> And so how else was it hard to get, you know, the food scene to buy into the cheese? You had the mansion on Turtle Creek as your first client, kind of who who was your next one and so forth? Well, there were all those wonderful continental restaurants with those European chefs. And so right. there was Mario's and uh, all these uh, continental restaurants and uh, John LaFont. And mm -hmm. Antonio Avona, they were all European chefs. There were no okay. young American chefs yet in 1982. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. <laughs> Dean started about then, and okay. uh, he had been at the mansion, and uh, he was at a restaurant in North Dallas called Agnews. Okay. And uh, 
he caught the eye of Craig Claiborne from the New York Times. And that was the first spark of anything new happening in Dallas. And soon thereafter, Stephen Piles came and uh, he founded Roo Street Cafe. And that was completely right. unheard of what he was doing. Right. And so you started off with the mozzarella. Um, when did you start adding different cheeses and experimenting? After the first year and a half, the company okay. was not completely financially successful. And okay. uh, I went back to Italy in January of 1984 and traveled around to lots of cheese factories, little bitty places in little bitty towns, learning how they were making their cheeses. And then I uh, interpreted those recipes and came back and taught them to my cheese makers. And we started making these more Italian cheeses. And then about that time, I started uh, selling to Stephen and Dean and uh, other restaurants that were focusing on this type of cuisine, this new American cuisine is what it was called. It wasn't mm -hmm. even Southwestern cuisine at that point. Okay. And yeah. uh, so then I would incorporate the chilies and herbs that they were using in their foods and put them in my cheeses. I wanted to be just like them. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's that's one thing I love about about your cheeses as how they are so unique to Texas and embrace the Texas flavors. What are some of those other ingredients and flavor profiles you use? Well, lots of chilies and herbs. And mm -hmm. also we smoke over pecan shells because that's the state tree of Texas. And I've always tried to incorporate native and indigenous uh, products into my cheeses. And I've been known for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also love the um, the Hoya Santa that you use. Like that is, is that sourced locally? Yes, it is. Uh, I have many growers who grow it for me in their yards. It's completely organic and wonderful. And uh, that cheese just won a blue ribbon at the American Cheese Society. And it's one of our most decorated cheeses, the Oja Santa goat cheese. Oh, that's wonderful. And what kind of flavor does that impart to the goat cheese? Oja Santa has the flavor of sassafras and anise. And uh, it's just a wonderfully fresh flavor. We wrap a fresh goat cheese in this leaf and the leaf permeates the cheese with its unique flavor. That's wonderful. And how, how would you eat that? Would you just eat it straight oh, can, or in what kind of dish? Well, one of the things you can do is you can just take the whole little cheese and put it on a baking dish and bake it in the oven until it's molten so that when you cut into it, the cheese ease, oozes out and has oh this goodness. delicious flavor of the Oja Santa. Uh, it can be incorporated in many, many different things. I love the cheese ooze. I love oozing cheese. Me too. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are um, some of your other most popular cheeses? I know the Deep Ellum Blue has been. Well, the Deep Ellum Blue, you know, I created that because I, I was trying to make Taleggio and okay. uh, I was not selling it quickly enough. And so it started getting this blue mold on the outside. And I oh. wanted to convince my customers that the blue mold was okay. So I renamed it and called it Deep Ellum Blue and told them that it was supposed to have a blue mold on the outside. And 
it has become so popular and it's just everywhere. And then the, the crowning glory was, uh, it was when Kathy was the food editor of the Dallas Morning News. Oh, yeah. And I made up a story and I told her that it was named for the blues in music that came from Deep Ellum because yes. we had had these singers, Lightning Hopkins and Blind Man Lemon and Lead Belly Ledbetter and all these right. people. And they were singing the blues in Deep Ellum. And so my cheese was from Deep Ellum and it was named for the Deep Ellum blues. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> That's how I operate too. Everything is on purpose, not by accident. Right? Yes, it just it's it's been great though. But that's a delicious cheese, and yes. uh, it's captured everyone's imagination. Yeah, definitely has. Um, and so, what are some of your um, other cheeses that just won? awards recently well we won for the goat's milk ricotta which oh, is yum. a ricotta with a wonderful flavor lingering through it of uh goat's milk and our ricotta is very special because it's made the way it's made in italy we mm -hmm. have the whey that's a resultant from the fresh mozzarella curds and then we heat it and precipitate the curds and then they float to the top and it's a very light frothy cheese that we then scoop out uh uh, spoonful by spoonful. And then another cheese that won was the Chihuahua with, uh, it's we call it Menonina. And okay. because it was originally made by the Mennonites in Mexico in the state of Chihuahua. And it has a pimento, pimienton, the Spanish pimento in it. Uh, and we also have a delicious little cheese that uh, Ross and Maurizio created at the Mozzarella Company, and it's called Dolce Habanero. And so oh. Dolce, because it's sweet, and Habanero, because it's spicy. And it's a queso fresco with apricots and habaneros. And it's oh just, oh, it's so good. You're just going to love it. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Um, and so uh, kind of pivoting to just food in general, what um, what kind of foods did you grow up with? And when did you know that you wanted food to be your career? Well, I grew up uh, eating Southern food in Fort Worth. Fort Worth was the South, and so was Dallas right. when we were growing up. We had not yet become part of the Southwest. <laughs> that right. happened later. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we had, you know, Southern foods, and they were uh, fresh foods as much as, you know, mother could get at A&P. And uh, we didn't eat canned foods or frozen foods or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, my grandmother was a great cook. She uh, cooked wonderful fried chicken and cobblers and uh, vegetable soup and things like that. Uh, she had a farm outside of Fort Worth, and she grew all these wonderful tomatoes and, oh, my goodness, boysenberry cobbler. That's amazing. And so how have you seen, I know you talked a little bit about the continental cuisine before even the southwestern cuisine came on the scene, um, but how have you seen the Dallas food scene evolve? Oh, my goodness. It's been through, it's just gone <laughs> everywhere. I love it. It's so eclectic now and it's yeah. so uh, product and focused and uh, driven. I just love it. And of course, we have access to all the finest foods from around the world and around the country, fresh flown in every day. I mean, you it's wonderful. I just love it. 
That's that's great. And what are some of your your favorite spots right now that are kind of new on the scene or some of your old favorites? Well, my old favorites are Perigi. I oh, yeah. love Perigi. And uh, they were our customers since 1984. They've been through four owners and they've always been our customer. And Andre Falls, who founded Perigi, is still our customer at Sage Bakehouse in Santa Fe. So, oh, um, wow. I mean, it's just wonderful to have all these longtime customers. And of course, I always say Stephen and Dean and Robert Del Grande Mm -hmm. and all those people we grew up together. And one of the ones that I love now is called Cry Wolf. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. He focuses on so many wonderful fishes and uh, his his interpretation of these dishes involves so many wonderful products and delicious things. I just love the way he cooks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so creative. Yeah, um, it really is. And so what are some, some restaurants that have closed over the years that, that you miss? Oh, you know, the one I love the most was uh, Mark Castle, uh, the fish oh, yeah. restaurant. Yeah, 20 feet seafood. 20 feet. Oh, that was my favorite place. I really hated that to go. Yeah. He was, that was so crushing. good. Yeah. yeah, he was really good. And I mean, there have been many that have gone, but there are many that have survived. And, uh, yeah. you know, Flora Street, I hated to see that go and Star yep. Canyon and all of those. So, uh, Dallas is great, though. We've got, we're resilient. We are fresh. We're new. We accept new things. We are, interested in experimentation. I think it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It also makes our job really fun too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and so I know you're also a huge traveler. You've been to Italy so many times and you've been teaching cooking classes abroad, leading tour groups. Um, what's one of the best things you've eaten while traveling lately? Truffles. I <laughs> love truffles. And, you know, they have spring truffles and fall truffles. And they have a lot of truffles in Italy. And wow. there is a restaurant that I love and adore in Chianti. It's in a little town called Lamale. And it's up on top of a hill. And they make this incredible uh, fonduta kind of thing. It's a, a, it's a, uh, oh, I can't think of the word. It would be a little sformato, which is an unmolded red onion flan that is infused with truffles. And it has a fonduta of truffles on top and shaved truffles on top of that. It is the most delicious dish you have ever tasted in your life. And I have it Every time I go to that restaurant and I take all of my uh, travelers that I take to Tuscany with me and I give them that dish and uh, (laughs) it's their favorite thing they eat in all of Italy. Oh, wow. That's amazing. We'll have to try to recreate that if we can even get that kind of truffles here. (laughs) Well, it's just the whole thing uh, is so delicious. And of course, it's not infused with truffle oil. That is a different thing than fresh truffles. Right, right. And so you've also recently received the Grand Dame Lifetime Achievement Award from La Dame Escoffier International, which I, is really an extraordinary honor. I am very <laughs> proud and excited about that. Uh, La Dames has chapters all over the world and uh, the chapters all voted and I was a winner. And uh, it's just the highest, highest 
honor and to have been chosen by my peers and my fail- right. fellow lay dom members. You're a dom. I know. I am a dom, which is <laughs> such an honor. <laughs> yes. Well, it's a fabulous international organization of the women who excel in food and wine and hospitality all over the world. And uh, there are chapters in Paris and in London mm-hmm. uh, and in Dallas and San Francisco, Boston, everywhere. And uh I'm the grand dame. <laughs> Yay! For the year, I'm very excited. <laughs> Only every two years, too. Yeah, yeah. And you join the ranks of Julia Child, Edna Lewis, Alice Waters, and Caroline Rose Hunt, which I think is the only other person from Dallas to receive the Grand Dame. Yes, she was right. chosen by by our chapter, and she yeah. was my mentor. We oh, went to amazing. the same college and in Virginia, and she was very proud of me, and I was very <laughs> honored by her accolades. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! What was um? What were some things that you learned from her? Oh, I just learned to to be happy. I mean, she was a wonderful person and uh, she was always positive and always had a smile and was always encouraging. Oh, that's lovely. Mm. Um, and you you have a lot of awards. If you go to um, the Mozzarella Company website, you'll see how many awards the cheeses have won over the years. Um, but just last week, you received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Cheese Society. Um, and Past recipients of those are cheese icons, including Igvella, Steve Jenkins, and Ari Weinsweig. Can you talk a little bit about that award and what that means to you? Well, that is just the highest in my industry. And cheese is an industry, and I'm right. part of it. And I'm very proud to be a pioneer of the cheese making, uh, modern cheese making movement in the United States. When I started in 1982, there were very few other cheesemakers. There was Laura Chanel in California, and uh, Mary Keene came after I did with her Hubbolt Fog and Judy Shad. We all grew up uh, in this in this business together, and uh, to be recognized by this organization uh, is phenomenal. Uh, it's a it's the organization that sponsors American cheese in the United States, and it has done so much uh, to advance American cheese and to bring cheesemakers from all over the country into this uh, group and to teach them and to mentor them. And I'm so proud of this. I really am. And, uh, you know, Igbella is the one who uh, created Sonoma Jack. And that was at the very beginning of California cuisine. Uh, And that cheese factory had been going on since, I don't know, the 40s or something like that. Then uh, Steve Jenkins wrote the first book about American cheeses and we were in it. And he was the guru to whom we all looked. (laughs) And then Ari Weinswig, he founded Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, and that's just one of the most wonderful places to buy specialty foods mail order in the whole country. So I'm like them. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Congratulations, Paula, on everything. And thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to talk with us today. It was really wonderful. And thank you again for all of your contributions on the Dallas food scene. We would not be where we are um, today without you. So thank you. 
I'm honored. Thank you so much. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Whether you're a longtime Texan or just visiting, you likely have some capital T thoughts about Whataburger. Actor B.J. Novak, widely known for his role on The Office, recently filmed and directed a movie in Texas called Vengeance. He plays a journalist and podcaster who travels to Texas to investigate a woman's death. Texas food plays a big character in the film, from Frito Pie to, of course, Whataburger. Our reporter Tommy Cummings recently sat down with BJ to talk about the film, and here's what he had to say about what's good and not so good at Whataburger. Yeah, I know you don't like the burgers at Whataburger, but what is your what is your go-to order there? Well, I love everything else. Um, I was just talking with some Texans over here uh, at Cooper's in Austin, where I'm, I'm based today. You know, we're talking about is the patty is too thin. Is the patty too thin, but does the circumference make up for it? I mean, there's a lot, a lot of choices that that Whataburger goes for that wouldn't be my choices, but um, you got to respect it for what it is. I love the sauces and, um, I'm, you know, the, the spicy ketchup. You know, I was just having this debate. I could talk for a long time about it, but the fact that you have the best accoutrements to put on your water burger. You have the jalapenos and the spicy ketchup. You still need to start with the burger that you love. So to me, everything but the burger personally is what makes water burger. But my favorite order is the honey butter biscuit. But last I was there, you could only get it after 11 PM. Did you really like Frito pie? Yeah, I love Frito pie. I just got to, I can't eat it too much because it, it didn't seem too good for you, but how could that not be delicious? And then I learned <laughs> about hot Cheetos too. I knew about Frito pie, but you know, a lot of the rodeos I visited have that hot Cheetos with the nacho cheese. And um, that's a little worse because you can taste how bad that is for you. Uh, the Frito pie, it feels meaty, like the Fritos become part of the meat. So it kind of feels like it's high protein. Kind of like an oatmeal. Yeah, it feels like oatmeal or overnight oats. You're like, this has got to be nutritious. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what you're eating, drinking, trying, and loving. We also want your questions. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Natalie Kalmungun. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.